1: wherever you get your podcasts. In
0: 1980, as the debate between the two major party candidates was held in Cleveland, viewers on one network would have seen the president, Jimmy Carter, take a question. The Republican challenger, Governor Ronald Reagan, respond. And then they'd hear a response from an independent candidate, John Anderson. Anderson was not in Cleveland at the debate at all. it would be a million ways to accomplish that, but this was 1980 and it was early, early cable news. CNN at this time had just 3.5 million viewers in the entire country. While the two major party candidates were in Cleveland, Anderson was in Washington, D.C. at Constitution Hall. Four producers would videotape the ABC coverage in a van outside. A stenographer would record the questions asked of the two major candidates in Cleveland and then get it to CNN monitor Daniel Shore, who would ask it of Anderson. They'd air the video jack debate and then, by that time, would hopefully have an Anderson response to fill the air while they recorded more in the van. It was kind of a crazy scheme. It was a nice try, but several times it went out of sync. The network aired Reagan once answering a question that hadn't been asked yet. And Moderator Short kind of messed up the timing, taking too long or leaving dead air at points. Still, the New York Times said it was awkward, but it was an intriguing glimpse into the future. Perhaps with cable news, one day, third-party candidates would have their own programming. Anderson's campaign was also an intriguing glimpse into the future for a time. A 10-term congressman, moderate Republican, he had attacked both Carter's ineptitude and Reagan's tax cut, which he called an election gimmick. Instead, Anderson called for a 50-cent gasoline tax increase, something no one was talking about, in order to fund alternative energy and reduce payroll taxes. At a time when not all Republicans liked nominee Ronald Reagan, he hinted at the support of President Ford with a quote from him in a TV ad at a time when Democrats weren't all pleased with Jimmy Carter. He appeared with Kennedy during the time that Kennedy was still vying for the nomination, had a Democratic governor of Wisconsin who had been a Kennedy supporter as his running mate. Working with media master David Garth, who would later run the Giuliani mayoral campaign in New York, Anderson played that most important card that a third-party candidate has. The other guys are a bunch of bozos. Well, he didn't really say that. But he said, if you're tired of all the nonsense, come over to me. In the summer of 1980, many voters did. He was getting 25% routinely in polls. He was raising about 250000 a week, a lot of money then, and would ultimately raise $12 million. This was pre-internet, using direct mail and they were getting donations from supporters in 30 or $40 denominations. There's no fluke. He was routinely mentioned as a factor in news coverage of the election, and his polls qualified him for participation in the League of Women Voters debates. But there were problems. He spent a lot of time and effort getting on to state ballots. He did, with an unprecedented drive, reach all 50 states. But it took time that he could have spent campaigning. The major party candidates were already on the ballots. He could not. As the Democrats or Republicans did in that year, qualify for $30 million in public financing. He was an independent candidate and not a true third party who had shown itself in the polls. He arranged for a loan against monies that he might receive from the FEC if he got over 5% of the vote in the election. The Democratic National Committee sued him, saying that it was illegal and held up the loan. The struggle to run was reported in the press and it made him look less than viable said David Garth. We were given a moped and asked to run against two Maseratis. Carter refused to participate in the debate in Baltimore if Anderson was there, and so Reagan picked up on that, and Anderson and Reagan debated. But in the final debate, both campaigns agreed to exclude the Independent. Except for a few cable news watchers on that new network, Anderson was out. Anderson would end up with 6.6% of the vote and didn't carry any states. He retired from politics. There was some talk of a third-party movement building out of the Anderson campaign, but it fizzled out. Carter's campaign was always most worried about Anderson, especially with a former Kennedy backer on the ticket as his vice presidential candidate and a liberal support base. Results confirm his fears. Anderson's best states, were Massachusetts, Vermont, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Hampshire, all Carter states, or should have been, the general election. Then again, Carter seemed doomed anyway. Anderson may have made the electoral map look worse for Carter's reelection; probably did, but he wasn't decisive. For instance, Carter lost New York and Pennsylvania, yes, by three to four points, which is within Anderson's vote in those states. But in big prizes that he would have needed, like Ohio, Texas, and California, Carter was losing so badly to Reagan, and Anderson's votes made no difference. The prospect of a third-party candidate in the general election is a positive for many Americans. Third-party candidates are often predicted with glee. No one wants to have a choice of just two people, two parties. No one completely identifies with any one person or any party. This ain't the old days where tenement precinct captains come or factory bosses tell us that we are all Democrats or we are all Republicans. We are all independents now, aren't we? We love the idea of the third guy or gal in the race. And yet many of us are political gamers too. We want to back someone with a realistic chance of winning. See, this was true in 1980. Anderson's big problem was the catch-22. Once he reached about 25% in the polls... The question he just couldn't shake. Are you really going to win? An ABC Harris poll taken in September 1980 shows this. It had Reagan 39, Carter 33, Anderson 23. But when they added a question, if you felt Anderson had a chance to win the election, who would you support? Reagan's now down to 33, Carter 31, Anderson 29. He's still losing, but more of a fighting chance and viability. The moped versus the Maserati. That's what killed Anderson. Then we Republican and we Democratic leaners race back to the parties that we really belong to. So the evil other side won't win the election. But that's only us modern people, right? Well, in 1844, when Henry Clay, senator, former Speaker of the House of Representatives, card player, bourbon drinker, former Secretary of State, when he ran for president against the little-known Tennessean James Knox Polk, There were high hopes among the Whig party. Whigs had won the 1840 election, and the nation was angry with Democrats after the Van Buren presidency of economic ruin. And now this nominee, Polk, who is James Knox Polk, they asked. The big issues, though, were tariffs and Texas. Should we enact high tariffs, protecting industry, raising revenue for the federal government, and should we allow Texas as a slave state into the Union? Whigs back tariffs. Democrats back Texas. That was known. But his candidate tried to fuzz the issue a little. I agree to moderate, reasonable tariffs, said Polk, which helped him get the state of Pennsylvania, where its industries wanted protection. Clay, not to be outdone, commented on the annexation of Texas. I should like to see it, he said. I should like to see it. Great statement. It doesn't mean I'm going to do anything to see it happen, but I should like to see it. Helped him make a play for Louisiana and pick up Tennessee, but it angered some of the northern Whigs who were abolitionists. They flocked to a newer party, the Liberty Party, and in that very close election of 1844, the abolitionist Liberty Party and its candidate, Ohio editor James Burney, won 60,000 votes. Not much, even then for 2.6 million cast across the country. But it hurt Clay in states that he needed badly. Bernie got 15,000 votes in New York. Clay lost the state by just 5,000. Polk won the election 170 to 105 in the Electoral College. It Sounds like a landslide. But the Electoral College then as now tends to magnify wins, especially where in that election, New York had the bulk of the population and 36 electoral votes. If Polk didn't win the state, then the election switches to 141 to 134. Now, Clay wins and is president. But for the Whig abolitionists in New York, Clay would be president. So complained that Whig political activist, Abraham Lincoln, who had campaigned hard for his hero in Illinois. He and others would raise a giant poll in support of the Whig ticket. That's what you did back then.
1: And then... So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Twelve years later, the same situation. Now Lincoln is a Republican. Clay is no longer alive. James Fremont is the candidate of the Republican Party, formed from many former abolitionist Whigs. James Buchanan is the Democratic candidate. Lincoln knows Fremont must win all the northern states. Illinois is included in that, because the Democrats will certainly gain all the southern states, and Fremont isn't even on the ballot. Favoring the banning of slavery in the territories, he's not even on the ballot in the southern states. The problem is, Millard Fillmore, ex-president former Whig, is running on the know-nothing American anti-Catholic anti-immigrant ticket. If he steals votes from Fremont, then the Republicans have no chance in Illinois. So Abraham Lincoln, Esquire, former congressman, and yet, not at this time anybody's choice for the White House, started writing some letters. He'd start them with, I hear you are a Fillmore man. And to any person who he suspected of supporting Millard Fillmore in Illinois, he basically said that a vote for Fillmore in Illinois was a vote for Buchanan, whereas a vote for Fremont could be a vote for Fillmore. And he went on to explain, you vote for Fillmore in Illinois, and then you're stealing votes from Fremont and Buchanan wins. Buchanan wins Illinois, the game is over, your man Millard has no chance. Vote for Fremont, and at least Illinois goes to someone who is not Buchanan. Maybe you have a chance of this election going to the House of Representatives, and maybe you have a chance of your person becoming president versus no chance. It was a nice logical argument, a kind of nice try, an example of the kind of weird dynamics that happen when three people run in a race. But it didn't work. Despite the letters from Abe, many Fillmore men stayed Fillmore men. Fillmore got many votes in Illinois, enough to toss the state to Buchanan, and Buchanan won Illinois and many other states and won the election. So in Lincoln's career... As a political campaigner, he experienced two ways these third-party races can go. His Whigs were in power, and a third-party campaign spoiled them in 1844. His Republicans were out of power, and a third-party candidate helped them as incumbents. His Republicans were out of power, the Democrats were the incumbent party, and a third-party candidate helped them to continue to be the incumbent party in 1856. That's how it goes sometimes. Third-party candidates cost the party in power sometimes, and other times they do not. It's such a relevant question now as we have some talk in 2012, I don't know how realistic it is, of a third person after the GOP finally picks its nominee entering the race. You have the Libertarians. Well, you always have the Libertarians. This uh, year, though, they have a strong ticket, Gary Johnson, at least a bit of a name, former New Mexico governor, but usually that party doesn't surprise too much. You have that former libertarian presidential candidate. Some people forget about the 1988 election. Ron Paul got half a million votes in 1988. There's talk that maybe because he pulls from both sides, maybe if he gets frustrated with the Republican race, he'll run. Maybe not. And you have this whole America elects the TV show that will try to create some buzz and nominate someone for president, which would at least provide a very cheap media source, to someone who otherwise might be unable to get it. Well, there is one thing that, in a sense, makes all of these possibilities viable, and it goes all the way back to the Constitutional Convention 1787 in Philadelphia. One thing that makes an independent or third-party president a real possibility, much more of a possibility than an independent or third-party Congress, it's that The Constitutional Convention elevated the president to its own branch, equal with the others, and therefore required its own election in all the states. To ensure fairness, because states had all kinds of different rules for popular vote or lack of popular vote, they used, that much maligned these days, device, the Electoral College. The Constitutional Convention rejected a plan, though it was the working plan for a while, to have the president elected by Congress. Because of this decision, third parties and independents can at least have a long-shot chance of getting the White House, even if they only start in the election year, because it's a separate election. If it was up to Congress, you had to elect a Congress of a party like they do in Britain or other parliamentary systems, and then have that person, have that entity pick President, you'd need a party with lots of congressional seats behind you. This we know, everything the parties do involves some bit of horse trading. Even today, presidential nominations become subject to promises made to governors and convention delegates and other people. But even a Democrat or Republican president has a potential to be independent, they can triangulate, they don't need the votes of Congress to get there into the White House. And theoretically, an independent can also get to the White House and doesn't need Congress's approval. Hi, it's Bruce. Listen, we all know the news headlines are full of wild stories like how the world is tipping towards authoritarianism, all while somehow, simultaneously, freezing, flooding, and on fire. It's a lot to take in. But what if, instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're actually on the cusp of a better world? If I've got your attention, then I highly recommend tuning to a podcast that offers a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people. What Could Go Right is the acclaimed news podcast from the Progress Network. Zachary Carabell and Emma Varvalukas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from climate change to politics, and make the case for a brighter future. Season 5 features fascinating guests like That's what made it possible for Teddy Roosevelt, 1912, to storm out of the Chicago Republican Convention and decide to come back to Chicago and form his own Bull Moose Party and run and take on the Democrats and really be the contender in that election and get as a third party 27.2% of the vote, the highest total recorded in the popular vote for a third party ever. It allowed for the aforementioned Millard Fillmore to run and get about 20 of the popular vote. And in modern times, it allowed for a businessman with no experience in government to come out of nowhere, and by June of the election year, become a serious choice, with a serious chance of winning, and earning 19% of the vote, one of the highest totals ever as well, which really doesn't even describe that whole election of 1992. That comes after his whole quitting and then rejoining the race thing, uh, which certainly hurt him. An organization is certainly important, but you don't need to control any house of Congress or have been in or have been a viable party for years in order to win on election day. You just simply have to win. Thank you, Founding Fathers. It means that these candidates can, as Roosevelt coined, throw their hat in the ring. But what happens if a third party candidate enters the race? Should the White House be celebrating or not so much? Spoiler or savior? According to Alan Lichtman. American university, poli-sci professor, it's more of a spoiler factor. The president really should not want to see a third-party candidate when running for president. At least it's a bad omen. He looks at elections since 1860. That's kind of where he holds that the two-party system began Republicans and Democrats and finds that in that year he's counted Republicans as a third-party in 1892 with the Populist Party, 1912 with Bull Moose, 1924 with La Follette's Progressives, 1948 with Wallace and Thurmond, running two uh, third- and fourth-party campaigns. In 1968 with George Wallace, 1980 with Anderson, 1992 and 96, with Perot. The incumbent party has a 66% chance of losing when there's a third party on the ticket. It's important to note that Lickman model does not involve causation, just correlation. He cites a number of factors and tries to predict presidential elections according to those factors. It doesn't assign causality to them. So it's not like the third-party candidate is the reason. It's kind of you can think of it as the bad omen. You see a third-party candidate, mm, not good for the incumbents. Yet 66% is not 100%. And sometimes you luck out like Truman did in 1948 when he could use Henry Wallace, a liberal, as a punching bag to make him, Truman, look more moderate when he was under attack from the Republicans. He would go out there and call Henry Wallace an appeaser to the Communists. And it was a deliberate part of his strategy, and it probably helped. Sometimes, like in nineteen twenty four, you might have a candidate like Robert LaFollette, Senator from Wisconsin, progressive Republican, running against his former party's nominee, Coolidge, taking some votes to be sure, but also taking many more votes from the Democrats. And it doesn't matter, Coolidge and Prosperity was probably going to win that election anyway. Same in 1996. Clinton wasn't hurt by Perot as an incumbent, but it does appear that these type of elections are exceptions. In 1860, 1892, 1912, 1968, 1980, and 1992. So six out of nine of those elections, a 66% loss rate, as he says. I agree with Lickman on this, and I can go back even farther in history, and I'll add 1824. You know, it was definitely a third-party election. It was a four-way race. 1836, we had another four-way race. 1844 with the uh, Liberty Party. 1848 with the Free Soilers. 1856 with Millard Fillmore. And if you add in 2000, you're right back to that 66% loss rate, even if I don't make Lickman's arbitrary beginning of the party system at 1860 and I go all the way back. Yes, two thousand's a bit of a judgment call because Nader only got less than 3% of the vote, but where he got it, of course, was critical. Besides the data and the polls and this kind of hardcore statistic, I think there's just a very real media factor of a campaign where you have the incumbent president and two serious challengers attacking them. There's a kind of stereo attack that's going on, and it may tell independent voters something's wrong with this guy in office because so many people are attacking them day after day after day or it could just be a simple bad omen that is meaningless president's not doing a very good job as in 1980 universally disliked low approval ratings even among some democrats jimmy carter was in trouble so of course you can have a guy anderson it doesn't matter the major parties going uh, that's opposing the Democrats were going to pick up the election that year. So what's going on if you are the incumbent? What do you want to see? I tend to think this: an incumbent like President Obama wants a straight-up reelect. Me versus the other guy. Yes, there are some rare situations where a president's really counting on kind of finessing a third-party candidate to to help take some votes from his opponent maybe to get something out of it to make him look more left or more right. Those are very difficult plays to make. The are play for an incumbent is straight referendum, you versus the other guy, and you want to spend your time attacking the other party's candidate and saying that they're not worthy to be president. You may not like me, but look at the other guy. And that's what Jimmy Carter's campaign was attempting to do in 1980, and Anderson proved to be a distraction to that. Certainly forced Carter into kind of a weird dynamic with the debate where he kind of looked chicken. he oh, you don't want to debate with the two candidates. And it kind of messed up the debate schedule to where they had a debate right before the election, which for a lot of people, uh, that was something that really killed Carter. Again, 1980s an election, he might have lost anyway, but you look at that electoral map and it made it look a lot worse. So that's one question. Does a third party candidate help the party in power? The second question is the old Moped versus Maserati question can a third-party candidate ever become president? I go back to the Constitutional Convention. They made it possible. Television, modern-day fundraising through the internet certainly makes it possible. If Anderson could raise a decent amount of money and at least be viable for part of the election year in 1980, now with some of the technology you have, I don't think anyone should say that we'll never have a third-party candidate in America. Bruce Carlson here. Uh, This was recorded for the 2012 election, and I think it's always very relevant. Uh, Third parties are something that a large amount of people desire, but the mechanics of it don't seem to work. And so looking at some of those past elections help. I think that a lot of people are going to say that this is going to be a different type of election because the two top candidates are so unpopular and people are going to be looking at third parties. In the early going, it doesn't seem to be happening. Not that, like, Gary Johnson isn't doing well in certain states, maybe Utah, New Mexico, and the like. It doesn't seem to be happening. My prediction is is that the normal rules will hold, and that we still won't have a great showing from third parties, even in this election. But we'll certainly see what happens and certain things like Johnson being allowed into debates might help. Johnson being included in more polls might help. It might change things. There was an awful lot of media focus on Anderson in 1980. Thanks for listening. Website is www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com Don't forget The Five Biggest Fibs in American Politics on Amazon.com. Thank you. That's my book on Amazon.com. Thank you.
1: We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money, and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts.